Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 today, so go ahead and turn there if you haven't already. And we are coming to the end of chapter 3. Okay, so we've, we've talked a lot about the dynamics of our Christian faith. And remember, we, we use that word dynamic to describe the pattern of our faith, the way that we move within the structure that Christ set forth for New Testament believers. And so the very first thing that we talked about at the beginning of this chapter was the dynamic of spiritual growth. We focused on the inward man. What what we talked about was the idea that God has a plan for us to actually grow in our faith, to to, to not stay stagnant or to not stay where uh, where we were at the day that we got saved, but continually, day by day, what it looks like to grow in him and mature in our faith. We asked ourselves, are we concerned about learning and growing in our faith and knowledge of God's word? Do we desire maturity? Now, why is that so important to talk about? Why is this dynamic of spiritual growth so important to talk about? The reason it's so important to address is because so many of us know Christians that are happy and complacent just going to church on Sundays and not going any deeper with the Lord. All of us maybe know people that live that way. We, some of us once lived that way. That's how I grew up, going to a church every Sunday, faithful going to church, but had no vision for my own development and maturity in the Lord. And so what we need to have as Christian believers who want to live in a mission-minded framework, we need to have a dynamic of spiritual growth. We need to have a plan and a path of moving forward in our faith. We need a plan for maturity. That's what we talked about. Then we talked about the dynamic of spiritual investment, and that was that outward part of what we do as believers, right? How we function in the framework of ministry. And so we talked about the idea of planting and watering and the part that we play in the work of the ministry, and we asked ourselves the question, are we concerned with reaching and discipling the lost? Are we concerned with going out and finding lost people and delivering them the message that we've been talking about all day, the good news of Jesus Christ's resurrection, are we concerned about finding the lost and delivering them from the bondage of their sin? Is that a concern for us? And at the point that they come to faith, are we concerned with investing in them, watering them so that they might grow? Is that a concern of ours? Or are we complacent? Are we okay with just coming to church and sitting and singing the songs and then going home and eating our Easter meal as though Christ didn't give us everything? Are we contributing to that work? And it was a question, you know, I'm, I'm using we, okay? I'm u- because that's a polite thing for a pastor to do is to speak in terms of we or our, right? The, 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 pl- the plural, because that's polite. But the truth is, I need to ask you specifically, okay? Are you concerned with participating in this mission? Because in this room, there's, it's, a, it's a mixed group, I mean, some of you are very concerned and, and others of you are not. You, you haven't previously recognized that God has called you to something greater than just your salvation. And then we talked about the dynamic of a spiritual legacy, and this builds on that. This was about a, a focus on our eternal or our future man, who, who, who we are in terms of the judgment seat of Christ. 
Because we'll never truly know who we are until we stand before Jesus, right? And we do have a legacy. And this third part of our chapter gave us a vision for what we gain in serving God. What do we gain in serving God? And we asked ourselves, do we know the value of an invested life? Is there reward or loss waiting for me in heaven? And that question should haunt us every day we wake up and we, we put on our clothes and we get re ready for our day. That, that should haunt us, this idea that we will stand before a living God and we will know for sure what our life was worth. Are we leaving behind a gospel heritage? Now, all these different dynamics of our faith and all these things that we've been talking about the last few weeks, all of them uh, address our ministry behavior, our belief, our perspective on who we are as Christians. And we focused a lot on the us, like, like who we are as individuals, right? And we've been asking ourselves really hard questions about our own personal lives, about our own personal ministry. But today we're going to talk about how these things affect a bigger and broader idea, and that is the idea of the church, the dynamic of the church. All of these things feed into a greater dynamic and a greater work that we refer to as the body of Christ. Now, before we begin discussing it today, I want to remind you that the church in Corinth had a problem. In fact, they had a lot of problems. Like, we're going to be talking about a lot of problems. And uh, the, one of the major problems and the first problems that Paul's addressing is is division in the body. About how, how the body had been fractured. How, how the, the church in Corinth had managed, because of their perspectives and because their broken ideas of what ministry was, they had formed factions and they had divided themselves from one another and they had a church that was divided. And so when Paul's talking about He's talking about spiritual growth and he's talking about spiritual investment and he's talking about our spiritual legacy. Ultimately, his goal is to get to this idea that if we are going to have any of those things and any of it's gonna be right, then it has to be about the church. It has to be about the body of Christ. And we cannot lose sight because we're so focused on our ministry and we're so focused on on our own individual life and how we stand before the living God, we cannot forget about the whole, the body of Christ, the collective. And we too are prone to struggle to see the forest through the trees. And you know that. You know that about your own ministry life, right? Like, like you can get you can get tunnel vision in ministry. You can get tunnel vision in following Christ. You can get so focused on your LFBI classes that you forget that they're supposed to serve a greater purpose. You can get so focused on your discipleship and so focused on that relationship and intimacy and that working between you and that other person that you lose sight that it's supposed to feed into a bigger and broader and greater thing. We get so focused on our area of ministry, whether it be hospitality or FOI or our Bible studies, that we lose sight of the fact that everything that we do and our very breath is supposed to serve into something greater that God refers to as the bride of Christ. The thing that he bled and died for ought to preoccupy our thoughts as well. It ought to also be the concern of our hearts is whether or not what we're doing actually serves a greater purpose in furthering the church. 
So today we're going to tie all this together, all these doctrinal dynamics, in order to discover how your personal ministry and your individual perspectives and behaviors impact the collective culture and effectiveness of your church, Midtown Baptist Temple. And so today's question is this. Does my Christianity serve to build up the church? I think, yeah, there there we go. That's what that slide looks like, huh? (laughs) When I designed it, it was was brown. Is it brown? It's weird. It's got a brownish tint, a brown tint to it. Has anybody else been really nervous about being colorblind since that Tuesday night where (laughs) Brian? Ever since then, I'm like, So this is the question, does my Christianity serve to build up the church? And I don't want you to dismiss this as an easy question. Some of you think you could answer this right now and just just dismiss it and move on, okay? But let's really consider today. Let's take stock of what we're doing as the college and young adult ministry. Let's take stock of what we're doing as individuals and ask ourselves whether or not these things are serving the greater purpose of the kingdom of God and the furtherance of his bride. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your resurrection. We thank you that, Lord, you uh, supernaturally rose yourself from the grave to defeat death on our behalf. It's just phenomenal. And we say it, like like I'm, I'm saying the words that you rose from the dead. And the truth is, that's That's phenomenal. That's, that's marvelous. It's incredible. It's beyond belief. Like our, our eyes had to be open to the fact that that was true because it's so easy for the world to dismiss it as myth and folklore. But it is true. You are my resurrected God. And you saved me from a life of bondage and trial and false pursuits And I could have very easily just wasted my life and found myself standing in a place of darkness and torment. And yet you pursued me. And you did that through experiences just like this one that we're having today. Going to church, sitting in a pew, and hearing a preacher preach. And you use those those times as an opportunity to call me to yourself. And so God, I'm thankful that you use simple things they use broken people. They use, they use the, 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 the frailty of man to draw people to yourself and to, to do a supernatural work in our life, one only that you can do. Thank you, God. Thank you for your plan. Thank you for your plan for me. God, I pray for those who are visitors today um, that, that might be looking, searching, Lord, I pray that you would show them yourself, that you would be the only option. Lord, I pray for those members here today that have become Laodicean in their thinking and they've gotten so programmed, so mechanized in their ministry that they, that they serve you out of duty and obligation, but they've lost all the passion and they've forgotten the bigger thing. Lord, stir our hearts that we would see that you have a plan, and that plan includes all of us, your family. And this isn't something that I do. It's something that we do. 
So God, help us to see it all today. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Let's begin by reading. We'll start in verse 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours and ye are Christ's and Christ is God's. So let's start here with verse 16. <clears throat> know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now we know, if you've been around for a while, you know that as Christians, the Holy Spirit of God indwells you, right? That if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, the day that you were saved, the Holy Spirit of God came into your life and quickened you and made you alive for the first time, right? You know, through Adam and through sin, you were separated from God and you were dead, Despite the fact that you had a soul, despite the fact that you had a body, and despite the fact that you had the spirit of a man within you, you were a walking dead man. But the moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he quickened you with his spirit, and suddenly you became the temple of the living God. He indwells you just the same way that the spirit of God indwelled the holy of holies in the Old Testament. The same exact way. Now, we're going to bump into this concept again later on, but I want to read first from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, okay? Because here, in kind of a, a spicy, a salty tone, Paul is reminding the church in Corinth that they as individuals are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And he says it this way, 1 Corinthians six nineteen: What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. You don't belong to you no more, right? Did you forget that somewhere along the way? Did you forget that the spirit of Jesus Christ lives inside of you? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now what this passage is advocating, okay, is somewhat distinct than where we'll be today. Okay, it says here that individual Christians have to understand that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost and as such, as temples of the Holy Ghost, we ought to live lives that are holy before the living God. Because it's not right for your vessel, your temple to be dirty and filthy and rotten and, and functioning as though you're lost, functioning as an old person before you knew Christ, living that kind of life, and then to be indwelt with the Holy Spirit? Like, that don't seem right. We were bought with a price, the price of Christ's blood. We were bought with a price. 
And because we were bought with a price, and because the Spirit of God indwells us, we ought to walk and live and, and act as though we belong to him, as though we're the children of the living God. That's how we should function. It's a powerful message. I can't wait to get there. We're not preaching that today. Now, today's passage is also focusing on this idea of the temple of the Holy Spirit. But rather than on the temple of the individual, Paul addresses the idea that the church collectively is the temple of God. That all of us also make up the temple of God. That collectively, we are the house of God. And God is building something in us. So let me prove that to you real quick. And we know from the context here at the beginning of chapter 3, he uses the phrase brethren. And he's making a very conscientious, conscientious effort here to address the church as a whole, the plural body versus the individuals. Now, he, he takes time to go to the individual, but only with the goal of coming back to this idea of the church, the collective. Jump down to verse 3, uh, to, I think it's verse uh, 9 right here. For we are laborers together with God, and ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. You all, ye, okay? We know that the, 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 the word ye in your King James, let me just point out that that's a unique word, that Elizabethan language. We don't really have that today. And if you're reading from another version, you're going to miss out on the very plural, clear plural aspects of what, what God is saying. Okay, you don't get to just replace the word ye with the word you because the word you can be mistaken as singular. Does that make sense? So the word ye is wonderful because it's a lot like the southern word y'all, right? <laughs> y'all. Anytime I go down uh, and, and visit with our brothers in the south, you know, the Living Faith Fellowship Churches, I always come back saying y'all a lot. And I like it. I want to use it all the time. It's a good word. Okay, because it, it provides us with something that, the, that we would, I would have to say, all of you, all of you, that's a lot of words, y'all is better. Okay, but the word ye means you all, you all are God's laborers, you all are God's laborers, and you all are his husbandry, you're his, you're his agricultural project, He's investing in you. He's farming something. He's cultivating something in you all. And you all are God's building. So when we get to verse 16, and it says, Know ye not that ye, you all, are the temple of God, what we see is that we make up a building that he's building. And that our focus, all the investment all the growth, all the legacy, that all of that serves to feed into a bigger project that God's doing, a bigger thing that he's, that he's up to. We must understand that Paul is emphasizing the idea that while we are all, all have an individual role, I look around this room and I think about all the ministry represented in the individuals in this space, the things that you do on a week-to-week, day-to-day basis, God's doing something in you. You are unique. He has a plan for you. But all of that, all of those individual parts affect a whole. And our personal dynamics in ministry serve into a work that's much, much bigger than us. 
And that leads us to key point number one. The dynamics of your ministry go beyond you. They build a greater work. They go beyond you. They build a greater work. And I know we lose sight of that, don't we? We don't want to lose sight of that, but we do. We get so caught up, you know? We get so caught up in our area of ministry or the thing that we do. And we always have a tendency, an inclination, to believe that whatever we're doing is the most important thing. Whatever, whatever I'm up to, I do that often to the neglect of what other people are doing. That happens to a lot of us. We think our thing is the most important, but it can't be that way. And we'll get to that more here in a minute. So the dynamics of your ministry go beyond you. They build a greater work. And so we're gonna break that down real quick. Can we do that? All right, one, the dynamic of your spiritual growth builds the temple of God's church. So we're backing up here. We're talking about the, the dynamic of your individual spiritual growth, your discipleship, your LFBI, your, your functioning in Bible study, your growth in the knowledge of God's word, how you're coming up in ministry, how you're being developed, your spiritual growth builds the temple of God's church. So spiritual growth is good, but not because we gain biblical knowledge or ministerial insight. Spiritual growth is good because it allows us to humble ourselves beneath the weight of what we are learning. It brings us low, and it demands that we learn in order to serve others over ourself. Okay, so what's the point of our spiritual growth? Oh, the whole point of it is that as you learn, you recognize how small you really are. And you begin to lower yourself. The, the, the main objective of God growing you in the knowledge of his word is that you would see that you're supposed to give your life to other people the same way Christ gave his life for you. The whole point of your spiritual growth is that you become a slave to your brethren. You guys don't seem real excited about that. <laughs> so you say to yourself, you know, when you're talking, you're thinking about LFBI and how difficult it is and, and your late nights of studying or you're getting your, your essay done and you're getting it submitted or, or you're doing your lessons in discipleship and you're memorizing your verses and you're thinking to yourself, this is hard. No, listen to me. This is God breaking you as he grows you. It's supposed to be hard. Because it's hard to sell yourself into slavery. It's hard to convince yourself that your life is not your own. It's hard to convince yourself that the whole point of you growing is that not, you not be the smartest person in the room or the most eloquent spe speaker. The whole point is that you become a servant to your brother. That's the, that's the dynamic of spiritual growth. Now the next thing is this, the dynamic of your spiritual investment, it builds the temple of God's church. We talked about spiritual investment. Spiritual investment is good, but not because we can feel good about being fruitful or glorying in what we've done. We like to pat ourselves on the back, we wouldn't do it out loud, would we? We wouldn't do that in front of people. But man, you get an opportunity to lead someone to Christ. You get an opportunity to go on a missions trip. Do a little bit of serving. Have a little bit of fruit. It's very easy for us to say to ourselves, look at, look at what God's doing in me. Man. And you start feeling good about it. And it's easy to convince yourself that somehow 
all the spiritual investment that has something to do with you and how awesome you are and what God owes you for serving him so well. You can fall into that trap. No, spiritual, spiritual growth is good because, because it allows us to participate in a mission that's bigger than us. And spiritual investment is good because it demands that we learn how to work with people that we're supposed to love more than ourselves. So the beauty of, you guys remember, if you go back in time, okay, and you remember that, that some, some plant and some water, and sometimes you're planting and sometimes you're watering, but listen to me, no, no plant can grow unless it both gets the planting and gets the watering. That's called teamwork. Okay, that's called teamwork. And God uses this form of spiritual investment to show you where you fit within the work of the body and to teach you to prefer your brethren over yourself. God is using you and he's using me. He's using us. And as he uses us, I have to submit to you. I have to yield myself to you. I can't prefer myself over you. Okay, God is using this spiritual investment to teach me, to show me how to love you more than I love myself. Third, the dynamic of your spiritual legacy builds the temple of God's church. Okay, good. So spiritual legacy is good. It's good. We talked about it in terms of reward and loss, didn't we? Last time when we talked about this, we talked about it in terms of reward and loss. And what we're looking for is reward. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we want reward, don't we? We don't want to stand before him naked and ashamed because we've wasted our life. We don't want, we don't want that. We want to know that our investment was worth it and we want that inheritance that he's offered to us. We want that. So spiritual legacy is good, but not because we've received reward or affirmation for what we've done with our lives. That's, that's a wonderful benefit, but that's not why it's good. That's not why it's good to God. You think God is doing all of this and he's got a reward waiting for you because ultimately he just wants to reward you? No, he's trying to get something done. He's trying to get something done. So spiritual investment is good, not because we get that affirmational reward, but because it allows us to leave behind uh, to others. Leave behind to them the traditions of our faith that have been handed to us. Speaking of legacy, 2 Thessalonians 2.15 says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or by epistle. Why do we hold fast to the traditions that we've been taught? Because it's our responsibility to hand it down to the next generation. So ultimately, our legacy isn't about us. It's about Christ. It demands we learn to put the kingdom people over the kingdom prize. Does that make sense? We've got to put the kingdom people over the kingdom prize. And your Christian life goes beyond your individual walk and relationship with God. It, it goes beyond the work of your ministry. It serves a greater cause. And that cause is to build the house of God. That's the cause. Hebrews 3, 4. Sam read this last night. Hebrews 3, 4, for every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. 
God is building. God is building something. Jump to verse six. But Christ as a, as a son over his own house, whose house are we? Who, whose house are we? Whose temple are we? If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope, firm unto the end. So to understand our spiritual growth, our spiritual investment, our spiritual legacy, we must understand how all these things impact our spiritual family. So here's an important principle for you. I want you to, I want you to get this down. No spiritual work of God will also simultaneously hurt the building of the temple. Okay, now let me explain to you what I mean by that. So, so no spiritual work or investment that you make will also simultaneously undermine the building of the temple. So listen to me. What's good for, the, for you is good for the church. And what's good for the church is good for you. And the two things are never mutually exclusive. And so if you're up to some sort of ministry objective or ministry passion or ministry desire that doesn't ultimately fulfill God's work of building his church, then it's a waste. I hate to break it to you. I hate to break the news to you. Because there's a lot of good things you can do in the world. There's a lot of ministry activity that we can do. There's a lot of things that we can invent. There's a lot of things that feel Christian to do. But at the end of the day, in any objective... Listen, if we decide to build a well in Africa so that people in a village can drink clean water, how do we know whether or not that's actually good? Because on the surface, it's a good thing, isn't it? How do we know that that investment is really good? Does it further God's work of building his church? Does it further God's work of building the church? It's the thing that he's concerned about. Now, so many times, we're concerned about a lot of different things, right? We get involved in lots of different things. We give our money to things. We give our time and our energy to things. We fight for ju social justice issues. We, we put ourselves out there, and we, we, we think that voting for the right person, and like we've got all these ideas. We're convinced that we know how to fix the world, and sometimes we do that to the detriment and the undermining of God's primary objective. And that is to build his church. That's the work. So, so you growing in your knowledge, you're growing in investment, you're growing in legacy is nothing, is nothing. If somehow along the way it undermines God's work in the church. Okay, so we've got a key point here. I gotta reopen my notes. I just got dropped out of my app. Okay. Personal obedience always furthers the work of the local church. O obeying God will always, always further the work of the local church. That's what it will do. But you'll say to yourself, well, Brandon, there's also a universal church. And what if what I do is good for the universal church. Okay, listen to me. It's not good for the universal church. It's not good for God's large body, right, of all the believers that ever were throughout history and all of the believers throughout the whole earth that are alive right now. It's not good for them if it's not also good for the local church because this is how it works. This is how God works. He invests something in you 
He, he draws you to himself. He teaches you his word. He gives you ministry activity as an individual that you might contribute to something called the local church. Now, we can't forget, we're in Corinthians, aren't we? That was a local church body in a city, in a specific place. So everything that God has given you ought to serve into a local church. And guess what? God's so smart. He's smarter than you. He's smarter than me. When those local churches are what they ought to be, then those local churches serve a greater purpose of, of growing and investing something big into the universal church. God uses local assemblies to do his universal work. That's what he does. And we got to understand that. Sorry, I'm scrolling. So, <clears throat> the object of Christ's architectural ambition is to build his church, and he does that through you, and he does that through the local church, and we need to obey, and when we obey, we'll see it affecting the local church. We'll see disciples being made. We'll see fruit abounding within the context of Midtown Baptist Temple. Last night, we had the appreciation dinner, Okay? And what the appreciation dinner is, we do it every year. We've done it for years and years, okay? The appreciation dinner is just a moment once a year where all the people that are serving within the context of this body come together and just celebrate what God's doing. Now, five years ago, I remember, I remember the appreciation dinner. We did it down the street. It was down at St. Paul's. And it was probably a group of about 75 people, okay? Now, last night, this room was packed with, with people, one-third of our church was in attendance because one-third of our church believes that it's their responsibility to serve into the local church, to find a place where they minister and invest. One-third of our body does that. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Now, here's the deal. Be careful. Be careful. Because just as Judas betrayed the bridegroom with his own selfish ambitions, we too are capable of betraying God's bride and undermining the integrity of her growth. Look at verse 16 again. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Now clearly, God is, is taking this defiling of the church business pretty seriously, okay? Because he threatens to destroy you if you defile the church. Okay, now the word defile here means corrupt, undermine, or work to destroy. Okay, now I don't think anybody in here would confess to this, right? They say, ah, that's not me. I would never work to corrupt or undermine the church. I would never work to do that. Don't be so sure. Now the word destroy in this same phrase here is actually, in Greek, it's the same word as the word defile. And it also means to corrupt, undermine, or destroy. It's the same word. But, but as you study this in the English and you, and you look at the word destroy, how it's used in English, you come to understand that what God is saying in this passage quite literally is this. If you work to destroy my church, I will destroy you. Mm -hmm. 
It's a big deal. That's a, that's a scary. That's that's scary to me. It's scary to hear God talk that way. But it's going to make total sense if you read it and understand it from His perspective. So let's look at Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty-five. This explains to us this mystery of marriage, and how marriage in life, right? between one man and one woman, ought to picture something much bigger, much grander. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. See, God sees the church as his bride, his wife, whom he's working to perfect. And I have to tell you, and I'm sure that you would agree with me, if anyone was actively working to harm my wife or my family, I would come at them like predator. There is nothing I wouldn't do, okay? There's no, there's no amount of ammunition that I wouldn't be able to stockpile. <laughs> Have you guys seen Death Wish? <laughs> right? Listen, if someone comes after my bride, there is nothing that I wouldn't do to protect her. Now you can kind of understand God's perspective. So when he says that that if you defile his bride, if you defile his building, if you, if you work to corrupt the temple that he's building, there is retribution for that. He's not gonna let that fly. He's not gonna let that, he's not gonna let that go down. Now listen, the church is Christ's bride and he is willing to prioritize, listen, he's willing to prioritize her collective good over your individual Christian well-being. Because you say to yourself, well, but Jesus loves me. He wouldn't, he wouldn't do that. I'm his child. Don't test him. Because he's willing to put the collective good of the body of Christ even over the individual believer and their well-being. Because he's doing something bigger than you. Sometimes I tell this story. You know, my, my brother was a believer. But my brother lived a life in and out of trouble and sin. All right? And before his 20th birthday, he got in a car accident that killed him. And in retrospect, as I consider and think about what, like, oh, I've, I've got journals, thick journals like this, full of prayers over, from over my brother's life. God, preserve my brother. Keep him. I knew, I knew somewhere in my gut that he was, his life was in danger because of the way he was treating God's name. He's just dragging God's name through the mud. And so, you know, on Sundays he was at church. But on Monday night with his friends, he was out doing something completely different. And I knew that that was a dangerous way of functioning. And God was not afraid. He's much bigger than me, and he understands the human soul much better than I do. And so he took my brother home. He put him in timeout. You're grounded. You're grounded, son. Game over. Come on. It'll be better up here anyway. Come on, man. Just come on. It'll be better up here. Just come sit with me. I was going to come back soon anyway, so it's not that deep. Come on. You know? And he sees it that way. Why? Because he wants to put the, the collective work of the church even above the individual, right? And what they think is good for their life. 
He's got a bigger plan. He's working a bigger plan. And he loves you so much that he's not gonna permit behavior that risks the spiritual well-being of others that he also loves so much, by the way. So this warning begs the question, what does it take for us to defile God's temple? And if I'm honest with you, it's easier to do than you think. So you gotta be careful. Paul gives us two ways that the individual believers in Corinth were in danger of defiling the church in Corinth. So how do we defile, how do we defile God's temple, the church? First, we defile the temple with the mind and methods of the world, okay? With the mind, that's the conceptual framework, perspectives and philosophies that we find in the world. But then not just that, also their methods, the modus operandi, the way they function, employing the things that we see them doing and bringing them into the church. Verse 18, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become as a fool. That's the request. Get low, that you, you might actually be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. So listen, it starts first with personal deception. Let no man deceive you. Right here, <clears throat> I'm going to recommend to you that you do a phrase study on be not deceived. So if you've got any time tonight while you're laying in bed, take 15 minutes and do a word study or a phrase study on be not deceived. God has a few things to say about that. It's real good. It'll, it'll come in handy. Okay? God knows that we're capable of even deceiving our own selves through lies and personal ambition. You know you can lie to yourself? And you can believe your own lies. That's how dumb you are. That's how dumb I am. That's how dumb... Listen, I convince myself of things that I want to be true all the time. And in the church, the deception may look like a combination of things. I'm just going to say a few of them here. These are just hypothetical. But these could come in any combination of the following. People aren't treating me fairly. People aren't treating me fairly. I'm not getting the recognition that I deserve. People don't see what I'm doing. I'm working so hard and I'm doing this stuff. I'm not getting the recognition I deserve. My leaders, they don't understand me. My Bible study leader, my disciple, they don't understand me. They don't get me. Things aren't really going the way I imagined here. You know, one of the things that's really difficult to watch is to, is to see people say to me, God has me here. And to watch them start growing and to watch them start developing and to see them get some traction and, just, and, then, and then six months later say, this isn't what I imagined it'd be. I'm actually gonna go. That sucks. That's one of the worst things to observe as a minister of Christ. Because who, who was right? Was God right? Or are, you, are you, what you're saying now is right? Which one is God's message? I'm not sure. I'm confused. Did God actually bring you here? Is this where you're supposed to be? Is this where you're supposed to grow? Is this where you're supposed to get plugged in? Because, because now you're telling me something different. Things aren't going the way I imagined. My leaders don't get me. Me, 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 me. I, 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 I. 
All these me's and I's, they add up to one thing, and that's the wisdom of the world. That's what they do. They add up to the wisdom of the world. Verse 19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. And when worldly and carnal thinking seeps into your way of thinking, then it has no choice but to defile the whole body. You understand? Your worldly thinking affects the people in this room. See, no one, no, no one can observe himself visually with their own eyes and also at the same time observe others, okay? Let's do, let's do a little experiment right here, okay? If I'm looking at my hand, all of you are blurry. Anytime that I'm actually looking at myself, everything else around it becomes blurry. It loses its distinction. It loses, it lo- it somehow it loses visual importance. And that happens to us spiritually too. See, when it's about me, 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 and it's about I, 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 and about other people treating me not the way I thought they would, I, this is not going the way I thought, this is not what I imagined it would be. When it's about those things, and it's not about the collective work that God's doing in this place and in this world, and our ambitions are something different than what his are, then that way of thinking will be corrosive to the body as a whole. It will. If your eyes turn towards yourself, it will always be at the expense of seeing others. So when your feelings or frustrations or personal ambitions pop up, the next thing that follows is the craftiness of the world. For it is written, he, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. The next thing you're going to do is you're going to craft a plan. You're going to craft a plan. And we know the, the, craft of the, the craftiness of the world looks a particular way. We know what that looks like. We know how the world functions. It gossips. It gossips when it should speak the truth in love. It has wise conceits when it should have foolish passions. It's patronizing when it should be modest. It's sarcastic with its words and sharp when it should be life-giving. It subverts when it should be building harmony between the members. And we bring that craftiness into this place. We bring our gossip. We bring our wise conceits. We bring our patronizing thoughts and words. We bring our sarcasm and our sharpness. We think it doesn't harm anything. We think it's just our personality. It's just our sense of humor. Listen to me. It's corrosive. It subverts when we ought to be building up. Key point, this is how we protect the church. This is how we keep from defiling the body. Protect the church through submission. We must choose to put God's authorities over our lives. This is the word, the spirit, and his church. If Christianity was about you, you would get to be the boss. But it's about the kingdom. Because of that, you serve as a subject submitted to the authorities of Christ's rulership, his word, his spirit, his church. You are subject to those authorities. You are a servant. And you will protect the church when you choose submission. Here's the other way we defile the temple. It's this way. 
with misplaced praise of men. We defile the temple with the misplaced praise of men. Therefore, let no man glory in men. If we follow men over God, if we prefer the opinions of man over the Bible, if we prefer doubt and questioning over learning, if we prefer to wander than submit, now listen to me, I'm saying this, I'm going through it pretty fast. Some of these examples are you. You know they are. Doubt and questioning over learning. That's why no one, no one can disciple you. Because you're too busy questioning everything that the Bible has to say. And you've grown accustomed to wandering. You like to be able to jump from church to church. You like to be able to say, well, this isn't exactly what I imagined it would be. And so I'm going to step out and I'll go. There's got to be a perfect church somewhere. I mean, and by perfect, I mean looks just like me and acts just like me. There's got to, that church has got to exist somewhere that has worship music that sounds just like what I want it to. We. (laughs) And that's what happens. That's the way we start thinking if we're following men over God. If the reason that you're at this church because you love Sam's preaching, you like his personality, you like Kenny Morgan's preaching, God forbid you like me and you're here for me, okay? But if that's the reason, if you're here to follow man, guess what? There's gonna come a point where I disappoint you and you're just gonna find another man to follow. You always find someone to follow. You know why? Because you're bent towards worship. And if you're not gonna worship God, you're gonna worship something and it'll probably come in the form of a person. First Thessalonians 2, 4 says, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts, for neither at any time use we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. So what does Paul say about the apostles? He says, we lowered ourselves. We didn't want the glory of men. We didn't want any recognition. We purposed to make ourselves not eloquent before you. Why? Because we were all the while avoiding praise. And you ought to do the same. You don't need the praises of men. And you ought to avoid too much praising of other men. Why? Because you could defile the church. And so what do we do about it? Key point. Protect the church through humility. If we're all humble and we're all low... When we make our spiritual investment, as we go through our spiritual growth, as we leave behind a legacy, if we do it with humility, it is sustainable. It will endure. It will continue. But if we do it in pride, it is sure to fall apart. We have nothing to glory in. We are all strangers and foreigners, estranged from God, never, ever, ever deserving of what he gave, and yet he adopted us. No work that we've done has ever been good enough to make us fellow citizens with him, but somehow he's made us a citizen. He's made us a fellow citizen through the work of Jesus Christ. He's made us precious stones, built one upon the other, a habitation of his Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2.19 says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, 
and of the household of God, the dwelling place of his spirit, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly joined together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. We have to understand that. You are but one part. You are but one worker, one investor, one legacy in the whole. So the conclusion of the matter is this, verse 21 of chapter 3, Therefore let no man glory in men. Why? Well, the answer here is actually a little bit surprising. This is what he says. For all things are yours. Why choose just one? I gave you Paul. I gave you Apollos or Cephas. I gave you the world as an inheritance. There was life. There's death. There's things present, things to come. All are yours. All of it's yours. Why glory in just one? Why let your pride get you so focused on you that you limit yourself and keep yourself from serving the kingdom? Why let your ambitions and your preferences keep you from getting all the things that I gave you? We have all things. We have his word. We have his spirit. We have all spiritual blessings, but not for our glory, not for the glory of men, for the glory of God. It's about him. It's about his church. It's about his bride. It's about his building. And everything ought to serve that. Now, I know that we are all uh, wanting to go eat honey-baked ham. <laughs> At least that's what the White families in Lee Summit are doing today. So uh, Some of y'all got other things. Right? But culturally, my parents are going to have honey-baked ham. And it's mighty good. I like, I like honey-baked ham. <clears throat> but listen, um, don't leave here holding your pride tight in one fist. Don't do that. Jesus Christ didn't endure what he endured on the cross and raised from the dead so that he could have a bunch of selfish children and brats as his inheritance. Let's humble ourselves before the, before the living God and recognize what he's done in us and that everything we do and every breath we breathe is for him and to further what he wants done and that is to build his church. We build the church. That's what we're doing. And if your focus is anything other than that, then let's get it right before we leave today. So David, I'm gonna have you come up, do a little ditty, lead us in worship. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray There'll be counselors. I know some of you guys got to split. You got to get out of here quick. That's okay. I'm not mad about it. But listen, if you've got to deal with something, there'll be counselors available to you to speak with, to pray with. Cool? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, I thank, I thank you that even when I'm confusing as I speak, I'm thinking, God, are they even getting this? I, I fumble through words. I can't finish sentences. It's funny, I never thought I had a stutter, but every week when I preach, I'm like, I'm stuttering. And I'm, I'm frail. And so, Lord, I don't know if I communicated clearly today, but Lord, I pray that you, would, that you said exactly what you needed to say. 
and that your word would be, would be quick and sharp and that it would do all the dividing that it needs to do and that it would, it would take the life of a person and separate the flesh so that the spirit and the soul can thrive. So Lord, speak to the soul of men and women in this room today. Call them to something greater than themselves. Lord, help them to realize that salvation is near. They simply have to reach out and receive it. That you've made a way for them to have eternal life through your son, Jesus Christ. And all they have to do is say yes. All they have to do is to give you the throne that you deserve. So help them to do that today. We love you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.